The Periodic Effects Cannabis Business and Science Podcast is brought to you by Periodic Edibles, the cannabis caramel company, available in Oregon. When we started this podcast and all of our guests would say, it's an education program, I thought they were overstating it or that it was a stick. Cannabis news wasn't just happening in any one city, but also in science labs and courtrooms and try and sort of get it all in, in one place. You, in fact, had a comment you wanted to make, Richard. Well, it's rather moved on. I mean, I was just going to say I can't imagine why anyone should think it was an ethical problem. I can see why they might think it was a problem of expedience. Hello and welcome back to the Periodic Effects Cannabis Business and Science Podcast. My name is Wayne and I'll be your host. And we got a unique kind of different episode today. We recorded this February 6, 2020. And our guests um, is Donnell and Alex from Weed Week. So Weed Week's a really popular podcast, and we were actually featured recently with them. Um, I think it was is a Forbes article, 2019 uh, top eight can- cannabis podcasts um, that you need to listen to. And first off, grateful, thankful that we were featured on that list and saw Weed Week. I'd listened to them before, so I reached out and asked them about doing a swap cast. So kind of an idea to, you know, have them interview me for 30 minutes and then we switch and I interviewed them for 30 minutes. So hopefully it's a fun, interesting episode and we're going to upload in two parts. So we're going to separate the interviews. I think they're both around 30 minutes and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. It was cool to talk to another cannabis, um, multiple, two of them, cannabis podcast hosts, how Weed Week got started, and what they're focused on. And they've got a whole ecosystem around them. Um, we talked about they're launching a book, Alex's. Um, they're starting awards uh, ceremony, competition, um, but an awards event, which is really cool. That's kicking off next uh, later this month. We talk about those dates in the episode. And... I was almost going to ask them about guests and interesting stories, but instead I I wanted to see kind of behind the curtain, give you that perspective, you know, how the podcast gets started, where's it going, where's the motivation, uh, what is the motivation for it, and just kind of what things look like behind the scenes as they're, you know, folks on the media and education, also more cultural around cannabis and legalization, activism, all of those great things. So this was a really fun one to record, something different. I hope you enjoy this one. Here's Donnell and Alex from Weed Week. All right. Well, joining us today is Donnell Alexander and Alex Halperin, Weed Week host, focused on the cannabis industry, writers, authors, uh, quite a few different things. Excited to have you guys both on and try to get a unique perspective for our listeners, more kind of behind the scenes, someone that's also in the cannabis industry, does a podcast. Um, so thank you for taking the time today, both of you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. So, you know, I was kind of thinking of where to take this, what questions to ask. And instead of, you know, I'm sure you've had on a lot of interesting guests, probably insights. So, you know, you're in California, crazy market, uh, the biggest market in cannabis. Um, but I'd be curious to know kind of the background behind the scenes of Weed Week, how it started, and maybe talk about, you know, how you run a podcast, um, some things like that. Listeners might be able to get some value. But where did Weed Week come from? How, why um, did you guys start it together? Did someone come on later? What, what's that story? So this is, this is Alex. Um, I, I started 
essentially, I was a business reporter in New York at the end of 2014, and um, Fast Company Magazine sent me to Las Vegas to cover MJ BizCon, which was then about 3,000 people. And and I went, and I thought, this is an amazing story, and nobody's covering it. I should cover it. So within the next couple of months, I moved to Denver, which was then the center of the industry. And um, a couple of months after that, in July 2015, I started writing a Saturday morning newsletter called Weed Week um, that would sort of aggregate news from all over because cannabis news wasn't just happening in, in any one city. Um, you know, it was in DC, it was in every state capital, but also in, in science labs, in courtrooms, in, in boardrooms and try and sort of get it all in, in one place. And, uh, that, so that was what I started doing. And then after California legal, and I kept writing about the industry and, you know, getting getting to know it and getting to know the beat then after california legalized i moved to la and started thinking about how we could expand in different ways and so right now we have three newsletters um weed week the the original one which i write and then weed week canada written by jesse staniforth which focuses on the canadian Canadian market and there's very specific issues and then um then we added Weed Week California uh written by Donnie and Donnie and I and I wanted to do a podcast as well um so we and I I had taped taped about a half year of episodes with a co-host and we we called we called a, a game you know gave it a rest and then I picked up a little while and Donnie and I started it again and we've been hosting it now for a little more than a year. It's probably like 15 months. Right. Yeah. And we are about to host Weed Week's first annual Weedy Awards with, and those will mainly be honoring California companies at the, at the end of February. And that's down here in West Hollywood. Yeah. And so we've got, we've got a lot of, a lot of different things going on. When did you come on, Donnie, from the – was that on the reboot of the podcast? Yeah. Said, what were you doing before? Were you in cannabis or was this your first jump in cannabis? It, well, I've been writing about cannabis. I mean, cannabis is you know fundamental to who I am. And the first episode, I think, I it coincided with my 40th anniversary of consuming cannabis. And, um, mm. yeah, so I was – I've been writing about it a lot and through my work outside of cannabis. But it happened that – while Alex was thinking about hiring me, I was trying to sell a series of narratives, local narratives about cannabis, and I was recording um, up and down the coast. I think I started in Oakland. I'd moved up to Seattle and Portland, where I lived for seven years. And uh, I was collecting these narratives when I got hired. And we're actually going to produce one of them soon, but that was my my crossover into the cannabis industry. I was working on cannabis, not, but not necessarily for the cannabis industry. Yeah. Uh, narrative, is that like a published uh, book or like an article or is it an audio? I was thinking it could be a podcast series, and I still do in a way. Okay. But, um, but you know, I, yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with the West Coast and cannabis, but <laughs> um, I still hope to do that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw your profile, too. It said 
social media freelancer? Do you work on the social media kind of marketing <laughs> side, or have you done that in the past? Yeah, I've done, I've had some good times as a social media guy. I worked for an ad agency for a year, and one of my gigs was being at L.A. Coliseum. There's one really funny story that's way too long for this podcast. It's actually the story of how I was <laughs> how I was fired from being at L.A. Coliseum. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> Should I tell the story, Alex? Sure, why not? Okay. You got the quote there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> I don't think I've ever told this story for rec- recorded purposes, but um, <laughs> you know, and I, I should explain at the beginning the Rams were two and three at the time, and they were <laughs> playing, I think, uh, the Washington racial slurs, <laughs> and <laughs> what they they. There was this whole thing about them having been from St. Louis. There were St. Louis Rams in like until 2016 or whatever, and um, those fans back in St. Louis could not accept. They couldn't accept that their team was gone, and so every game they would send. There would be these people tweeting at us, "Look at that shithole! Nobody wants to be there," because they do it like 90 minutes before. I actually have been to. I was at St. Louis for some playoff games back in the 90s, and. People show up like a day before. That's how it is in college football. You tailgate and all that. Anyway, there was nobody there 90 minutes before this game, and this crowd base was emerging. L.A. has a reputation for not giving a shit about the Rams. That's the backstory here. So anyway, this guy tweeted this, this barrage of shit, and I, at a certain point I said, you know, in L.A. we have traffic and lives, <laughs> so people tend not to show up 90 minutes before the game. And they went ape shit, and I have to say the beautiful part that got of you it, fired. Yeah. Oh, well, the thing is, I told my boss about this, and she said her response was, "Don't sweat the small shit," because honestly, there was a bit, there was a kerfuffle on Twitter when this happened. I told her this, and she said, yeah. "This is good." And the L.A. Coliseum actually is a, a – it's owned by USC, the county, and the city, which makes it like a political shithole. <laughs> and so they want no controversy. They went back to posting menus <laughs> the day after that. I mean, I was fired immediately. But the funny thing is, here's the best part. This is the – it's like a coda, but I love this coda. The L.A. fans, there are so many more people, so many of us, and frankly, we're more – articulate and better educated than the average Midwesterner. That's I'm not I'm not talking shit about it. I know you're you're from the Midwest as am I, but those guys all engaged and they just beat the shit out of those St. Louis fans verbally on Twitter. And that whole phenomenon ended. I got fired. I took one for the yeah. team, literally. And we all know the Rams right. went to the playoffs that year. <laughs> That's a good story. I'm taking all the credit for the playoff run. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think they'd want, you know, fans in L.A. would have been all about that. Yeah. Beating St. Louis. Would have hated it, but you're not trying to sell tickets in St. Louis. Like, rivalries. <laughs> yeah, I think that would help. Yeah, yeah. So that, I, I just haven't, up, I haven't updated my LinkedIn thing. I'm not an updater of those kinds <laughs> of things. Yeah. Well, that's an area that I'm really, you know, with the business and then a lot of we talk about on the podcast, from marketing, there's social media, different methods online, but a lot of businesses you can't there's no buy now button on our website you got to go into the store um so around that topic maybe start you mentioned the newsletters do you find newsletters or email lists if it was a company should people be investing a lot of time into that from your experience um building that up at weed week is there a lot of that because there's so many different things you can do online i find just picking a few and focusing to be good at those things is really difficult to do yeah well i mean I thought a newsletter made made sense for for cannabis, like, like I said earlier, just because there's so many different stories happening in so many different places that 
it seemed to me like like a newsletter was really a good sort of streamlined way that people could find out sort of the most important stuff all in one sort of easy to manage format. Um, and then, and you know, of course, everybody has a list and that, that becomes sort of central central to the business. The, the thing about these lists is people, I, I think people tout these enormous lists, you know, oh, I've got a list 400,000 long. But, mm-hmm. but I, think, I think engagement matters more. Like mm-hmm. from, from what I'm hearing, advertisers care more about whether people are opening your newsletter than how many people are, are getting it and it goes straight to their spam filter. And with newsletters, it's nice that that's pretty easy to to measure. Yes, yes. And I, I had never looked at those metrics before, but it's it's reassuring. It just seems like you know what you're getting. There's no gray area. Yeah. Can you tell? Can you tell whether someone's read through the entire newsletter? I can tell what they've clicked on. Yeah, that's close. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate. Maybe some people are able to block it hmm. or something like that. Hmm. But um, yeah, you know, it's nice to know what people are 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 clicking on you you don't want to overdo it or else i think you will tailor to you you know you don't want to sort of shape the newsletter around whatever is the most popular topic but you want but it helps to have some idea of what my readers want to know the most about Mm -hmm. i feel like the newsletter newsletter lets us be close to our readers in a way and i I definitely understand why you know it's been a big part of your identity because uh you find out about i don't know you can you find out who you're reaching and i have relationships with some of the readers i mean writing relationships please don't write me um that that are really touching you know and their relationship there are a lot of newcomers to cannabis i think i think the thing about legalization i've picked up here that i didn't in oregon is that there are so many newcomers desperate for information when we started this podcast and all of our guests would say it's an education program i thought they were overstating it or that it was stick but if you're not educating, right. you ain't working basically at this place, right. this point in history. But at the same, you know, you need education needs to be good. I mean, for a lot of people, educating, it's basically just a different word for marketing. <laughs> and, you, you, you know, if you're if, if your education is try my product, that's not really education. Um, yeah. I mean, there's nothing nothing wrong with saying it. But but as 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 you said, um you, you know, you need to offer something of value. And I mean, I guess yeah. one of one of the ways we try and do that is by um, we have a like a reputable news, like other reputable news organizations. We have a split between our editorial and business operations. The editorial staff yeah. doesn't sell ads and the 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 business staff doesn't tell us what to write about and the advertisers don't tell us to write about because we are producing um we produce content with for our audience that's the goal of mm-hmm. our our business yeah i'll tell you how not conflicted we are i bought my kids some stock to teach them a lesson about econ uh last spring and mm-hmm. Alex, Alex encouraged me to divest, even though it was like three hundred dollars, which I did. Of course, by the time I divest, it was worth like thirty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what two thousand nineteen looked like for all of us. <laughs> so I don't do any stocks, and yeah, we're 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 pretty we're pretty clean. And in cannabis, that's remarkable. It's true. It's true. Not 
not all of our competitors can can say that. I I think it's fair to say. It's very fair. Yeah. And a couple of those things there, offering value, right? If you're just going to talk about your product and frame it as education. Also, finding out what your readers want to know about or what they care about from and maybe of insights here or not. But I'm like as a company or a business side, if someone wants to start a newsletter or try to like, you know, have that be an asset to them, is an approach to write on general topics about the industry, kind of news. Um, how would you think of a company approaching a newsletter? And uh, obviously, you know, also being clear about the bias there. Like, you know, we have a podcast. You know, is there how does a company provide value in a newsletter? Do you feel the stories, news? I think that's a good question, and and I'm not exactly sure I know the answer. But 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 I can say a couple things. And one thing I can say is that right now content is very cheap. I mean, I don't even like the word content. I prefer not to use it. I, I prefer to say we're a journalism company. But um but but what I would what I would say is that um you know, you can hire somebody to write things like, you know, five strains for watching a silly movie or something like that. You, you, you know, but just like anything else, you, you, you know, I think writing that is more thoughtful and and actually written for the reader rather than for the for the entity that's trying to sell something is is important. And I, I think this is not a distinction that that I think a lot of people putting together cannabis content of various kinds, some of them media companies, some of them product companies, some of them other entities, they don't necessarily get that distinction. So, I mean, I think of it sort of as like the difference between music and Muzak. Hmm. Like hmm, composing... That's, that's good. I take that. I'll, I'll, I will accept that analogy. I, it is. It is. I've been working on it for a while <laughs> and I get very excited about it. But um, so basically, you, you know, they take similar skills to write a piece of Muzak as writing uh, to write a piece of music as write a piece of Muzak. But one is to delight. One is designed to delight the audience and the other is designed in the interest of commerce mm -hmm. and nothing wrong, nothing wrong with commerce, but you can't necessarily, but just because you put together some some written content in the nature of con commerce that doesn't necessarily mean anyone's going to buy it or you you need there needs to be i mean in the case of, in the case of entertaining we want to inform and entertain and um, he's using a lot of words to say soulless. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Soulless. You need a soul, <laughs> and um, I, I don't, know. Listen, I don't necessarily think a lot of people paying for cannabis content understand that distinction. It's unfortunate because I, I'm someone who feels like in society, uh, media literacy is a crisis that we don't talk about. Maybe not on the level of environmentalism crisis, but it's a crisis that explains a lot of why we are in the world. Yeah, and, and, and when you go to cannabis, you see like a lot of the writing is dependent on that lack of media literacy. 
I don't. I hate to be so hard on it. I, I feel like a lot. I talk a lot of smack about the media and cannabis, but I love the plant, and I really think it should be better. Sometimes it's just it is a commercial, and and I, and I know there are really practical, literal examples of trade for coverage and ads and all that. But it the soullessness is kind of a plague. Well put. Yeah, yeah. I like that content is cheap, and it and it's kind of like the education. It all seems so flooded, um, and it's. Now, like, you can buy a cheap article. It's easy to put volume out or number of items. But And I kind of see the social media that way, too, where early on it was like if you posted a picture of a cannabis plant, like, you were getting followers, people were, you know, you could build some big accounts. Now, you know, it's everywhere. You have a picture of a cannabis plant, like, we've seen millions of those. Um, how do you look at the social media side, uh, Donnell? Is there, like, if you're thinking of a company, is there a strategy? Like, what's going to stand out there? Because that also seems similarly flooded and kind of that content is cheap feeling around social media. Right. It's it's a real, um, it's a real uh, quandary for us, you know, because you can get lots of follows and lots of uh, shares by just saying, hey, Nebraska has medical, and people go, woo, and they, they they get like a cheap thrill, but it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't connect to anything larger. And when we, we're – so we're really trying to strike a balance. I know that – like my voice is no longer dominant in the social media component of Weed Week because I feel like – I mean Alex has probably never heard me say this before, but I, I don't think everyone wants to hear my voice. And the <laughs> – and, and, I mean I'm, I'm happy with my voice, but there there's more of a, a broader commercial tenor, a tone I want to strike. And so I've stepped back. And I think the old me, even like 35-year-old me would have thought I was such a sellout for that. But I, I, I think I see now more than ever. You have to strike a balance, and you have to be able to reach newcomers, and you have to do these things. And I still want to do those things. I want us through social media to do those things without, you know, sort of pandering. So it's tough. I really like for a lot of journalists, social media is a very big deal, especially Twitter. And I, I really struggle to understand how it works. And so you, you, I always feel like you're being obstinate when you say that. No, no, I'm not. And, you, you know, even sometimes... I, think, I feel like you dislike it, and you say you don't understand it. I No, because I'm a nobody on Twitter, even when I say something, even when I come up with a good tweet, which doesn't <laughs> happen all that often. But I don't know. It just goes ignored. So I, I just don't understand what it takes to be big on social media. You got to want it, man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> And I, can I, I want to say something, something, I, I, maybe this will be the first sexist thing I've ever said on the podcast, but it's your podcast, so it's okay. Um, girls are better at social media. Women are better at social media, but girls are really good at social media. Mm. They just kind of let that sit there like I farted. Jesus, guys. No, I mean, I don't, I, there are plenty of men who are good at social media. Don't let all the men come after us. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, the, Weedy Awards, where did that uh, come from? What's the idea behind it? And what um, what are the awards for? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so the the Weedy Awards were actually proposed by our, our business team. And um, the idea is to to have an event and sort of create, um, you, know, you know, there's a business impetus for it. We want to hopefully make some money off it and create sort of a, a franchise that can um, continue to continue to make money. But, you know, we're trying to 
sort of lend some of our objectivity and and fairness to cannabis judging contests, which, like a lot of the cannabis media, are inherently suspect. But you, they're, they're, they're differently suspect because when the stuff takes effect, you can't really separate when one, one, one bud is acting on you and another one is yeah. acting on you. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So, and so it's uh, companies and products, just flower with the, um, who would like to be the, you know, no, so we've we've got a list of finalists, and I don't want to list them now because I will probably miss some. I don't I don't know them all off the top of my head, but we can we can send you a list of fi- finalists. They're they're primarily California brands that sort of imposed on us by um y- you know just the the legal status. But we've got yeah. we've got awards for for products, but also for environmentally resp- responsible companies, for minority owned companies. Um, we've got an award for um, person of the year and celebrity of the year. I think about nine or ten awards in in total, and we're going to have um, an event at you know like a, a gala event at the London Hotel in West Hollywood on February twenty eighth, and yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And we've got we've got a great list of judges who are who are judging the products, and you know hopefully bringing. Um, a measure of of objectivity and and credibility to to an arena uh, cannabis contests that that sometimes but not always but but sometimes don't have that kind of credibility. Yeah, it's such a it's a hard one to figure out, and I, I think it's really cool too that you're not just doing the products but looking at people as well and achievements and what people are doing for the industry. Um, What's uh, what's the process of setting up an award like this whole uh, you know kind of to be you know its own niche or its own product or service? This award, the ceremony, the process of it, the brand—is it a huge undertaking? How did you guys approach? I mean, kind of behind the scenes, um, what was just the process and kind of going through it? Yeah, I mean, it is a big process, and our business team has been do has been taking care of most of it, so. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a real undertaking, you, you, you know, because if there are categories like best environmental company, we need the, the finalists who are going to be judged, you, you know, they need to be able to present what, what they're doing, um, to the judges in a meaningful way. And, you, you know, we need to make sure the judges are able to get a hold of the products they are they're judging but we we began it all with an open um survey and anyone could nominate whoever and then we narrowed it down to a couple finalists in each category and that made it more more manageable and i think the results are in actually are you um you know differentiating awards and ceremonies do you think it's the audience and credibility you've built over time, is there another aspect to it that um, is different than other competitions that are out there as well? Um, you know, I, I think it helps that I've written a newsletter about this industry every every week for five years. And let's let's also remember, Alex. In addition, to, you should talk. You know, Alex has a book coming out next month, and he was the Guardian's pot columnist for God knows how long. I mean, we have to I, we have to blow our own right, horn right. a little bit. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah. So I I. I have a book coming out on 
March 3rd called the Cannabis Dictionary. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's somewhat authoritative. It, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun book. You can pre-order it now on, on Amazon, but you know, it covers everything from, you know, it's entries. It's in the form of a dictionary with, with nice illustrations and it covers everything from, um, history going back to ancient China to, Steve D'Angelo of the of the Green Rush and sort of everything in between with sort of cultural figures, business figures, figures in terms of activism and and um, criminal justice. And, you, you know, really, I think while it's not officially part of Weed Week, it's published by Hachette Books, which is a, a big publisher, but it, it's in keeping with the theme of of Weed Week that there's so much interesting about cannabis um, that happens bef- before you get high, or that goes into um. This is this is our plan. thing because he really believes that, and I and, and I believe it too. He's made me believe it more than ever. But my whole internal journey is a cannabis thing, and I have a. <clears throat> I guess I would say I have one of the reasons the podcast works is there's like a odd couple inside outside thing that happens, and I'm much more concerned. I feel like I've made myself over three or four times through the through the service of cannabis, you know? And so when he talks about it, it I think it, it's, it's something that I heard, I heard someone talking about this earlier when an idea is challenging to you, but it it just actually improves the conversation. You know who it was? It was Prince on the Prince 1999 podcast. He was talking about uh, the, the guitarist from chic and how, when they got in the room together, they had different ideas because Prince is more spiritual and this guy's more scientific that they just had these really good conversations. And that's part of the power of the podcast. I, I, that had, that had come to me early. It didn't really have anything to do with what you're talking about, but it's out there now. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it does tie in. I think I just like, love that story of building an audience and then you, you know, you figure out what to build around that. I mean, obviously you, people listen I mean, multiple channels that you build. Um, I kind of just wanted to end on then was Weed Week. Um, I mean, you've got a team, you said your business team, and you got audio engineer. Was it kind of that slow incremental build over time? Um, did you guys raise money at some point in time or how have you gotten up to this? I mean, you got infrastructure, you got a team, you're doing award ceremony. I mean, these are, these are big things. Yeah. Um, so essentially, and what, what, what happened is weed week was, uh, largely just me and, and I didn't have the resources to, to build it out. And, um, after I inherited some money, after my, my father died, I decided I would invest that money in, in trying to put together a company. So it's not exactly a Horatio Alger story, <laughs> but it's the way it goes. And, uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, that's, well thank you for investing the money there around, you know, education, content, the stories. I mean, that's such a huge gap or needs to be filled in the industry. So, you know. Appreciate yeah. what you guys put out there. Um, all the content where we talk about the book, the awards, anything else you want to let listeners know about and then where can they find you? Okay. I, I have to let you know about this because I, you're a Portland based mm. yeah. uh, media company. Let's call them that. Everybody's a media company yeah. now. But I have to say that I was in Oregon for seven years and I was there through legalization. I applied to a half dozen companies, got my bud tenders license because I was super poor and nobody hired me. 
if I, if I had been hired as a button tender, I never would have come back to L.A., so I'm very glad I didn't hire Norgan. But I just want you to know, as far as I'm concerned, it's on your permanent record. Yeah, that's that's my my goodbye. I love Oregon, but I couldn't get a job in Oregon. That makes me crazy. Well, that's a pregnant-ass pause right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people find you or, or anything else? Oh, I, no, I have I have one more thing because I'm very proud of it. While I was in Oregon, I made a film called An, an Oregon Canyon that appeared in the um, Portland International Film Festival. You can find that on YouTube. I'm proud of that. Um, and the rest of it's just pot stuff. It's a really good movie. It's just a short, it's a but it's really cool. Good short. An Oregon Canyon. Oregon Humanities paid for it. It's one of my best-paying gigs the entire time. Thank you guys for the time having me on. Excited, glad to have you on. Um, yeah, excited to get this out to our listeners. I think it's a, definitely something unique, kind of a different angle we haven't taken. So cool, glad you guys wanted to partner up and do something different. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. It's great. All right, that was the episode. Hopefully you got some unique insights, a little something different than our normal episodes, behind the scenes, what it's like for Weed Week and another cannabis podcast, how they operate, how things work, and other things they're working on. So go follow the podcast. um, Give some of those episodes a listen. If you're down in California, check out their awards event coming up and also Alex's new book coming out in early March. Some really great content, and I really like the perspective they both take, how they approach cannabis, questions they ask. It's a really good podcast to follow. So thank you for listening to this one. Um, That's pretty much it. So we'll be back next week (laughs) with another episode. If you haven't signed up for our email list, do that. There's a link in the show notes. You'll get an email from me every week, Tuesday mornings, covering the Monday's episode we uploaded with other thoughts, insights, perspectives, reflections, Um, anything else I thought of from the conversation from that podcast. So link in the show notes or go to periodiceffects.com and we have a link in the footer. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. The ideas presented in this podcast are meant for general informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. The Periodic Effects podcast, Periodic Edibles, and all affiliated subsidiaries disclaim any liability for any damages arising out of reliance on the information presented. Please consult licensed professionals for any medical, legal, or business advice.